Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our daily reading conference call on A Course in Miracles, Original Edition. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles, Original Edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse over the link at top for online edition, you will see the link to read ACIMOE. On that same drop-down menu, there's a link to subscribe to an excellent daily email, which contains both a workbook lesson and the text reading for the day. My name is Lemoyne Castle, and this call happens for and with you every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Today we're continuing our reading in uh, Chapter 18, The Dream and the Reality, with Section 7, Dreams and the Body. And at the top of the hour, we'll pause for remembrance of our lesson for the day. Today is a review of Lesson 205. I want the peace of God. And with the centralizing thought in the review section being, I am not a body, I am free, for I am still as God created me. Well, let me ask you, Lori, do you have a poetic opening for this call this morning? I do. I'm happy to be direct straight to this. From Thomas Aquinas, the poem is called We Are Fields Before Each Other. How is it they live in eons in such harmony, the billions of stars? when most men can barely go a minute without declaring war in their mind against someone they know. There are wars where no one marches with a flag, though that does not keep casualties from mounting. Our hearts irrigate this earth. We are fields before each other. How can we live in harmony? First, we need to know we are all madly in love with the same God. I want the peace of God. Amen. Thank you, Lori. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks. Beautiful image. Fields before each other. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Lori. So with us in reading today, I have Lori, Fran, Donna, Karen, and Robin Marie. Is there anyone else who's joined us who would like to join the reading list or just say good morning and listen? Morning, this is Sandra. I can read. Thank you, Sandra. All right. So I'm going to ask again, is there anyone else who's just joined who would like to read or let us know you're listening? 
Hi, good morning. It's Lana. Um, good morning, everyone. I can read today as soon as I find the page we're reading on. Okay, thank you. Okay, it's 18-7. And you've got a, little, a few minutes before your turn. Okay. One second, I'll get us started. Chapter 18, The Dream and the Reality, Section 7, Dreams and the Body. There is nothing outside you. This is what you must ultimately learn, for it is in that realization that the kingdom of heaven is restored to you. For God created only this, and he did not depart from it, nor leave it separate, from himself. Kingdom of heaven, excuse me, the kingdom of heaven is the dwelling place of the Son of God, who left not his Father and dwells not apart from him. Heaven is not a place nor a condition. It is merely an awareness of perfect oneness and the knowledge that there is nothing else. Nothing outside this oneness, and nothing else within. Lori. Chapter 18, Dream of the Reality, Section 7, Dreams of the Body. 49, there is nothing outside you. That is what you must ultimately learn, for it is in that realization that the kingdom of heaven is restored to you. For God created only this, and he did not depart from it, nor leave it separate from himself. The kingdom of heaven is the dwelling place of the Son of God, who left not his Father and dwells not apart from him. Heaven is not a place, nor a condition. It is merely an awareness of perfect oneness and the knowledge that there is nothing else. Nothing outside this oneness and nothing else within. 50. What could God give but knowledge of himself? What else is there to give? The belief that you could give and get something else, something outside yourself, has caused you the awareness of heaven and the loss of your capital identity. And you have done a stranger thing than you yet realize. You have displaced your guilt to your bodies from your minds. Yet a body cannot be guilty, for it can do nothing of itself. You who think you hate your bodies deceive yourselves. You hate your minds, for guilt has entered into them, and they would remain separate, which they cannot do. Thank you, Lori and Fran. 50. What could God give but knowledge of himself? What else is there to give? The belief that you could give and get something else, something outside yourself, has cost you the awareness of heaven and the loss of your identity. And you have done a stranger thing than you yet realize. 
you have displaced your guilt to your bodies from your minds. Yet a body cannot be guilty, for it can do nothing of itself. You who think you hate your bodies deceive yourselves. You hate your minds, for guilt has entered into them, and they would remain separate, which they cannot do. 51. Minds are joined. Bodies are not. Only by assigning to the mind the properties of the body does separation seem to be possible. And it is mine that seems to be fragmented and private and alone. Its guilt, which keeps it separate, is projected to the body, which suffers and dies because it is attacked, to hold the separation in the mind and let it not know its identity. Mind cannot attack, but it can make fantasies and direct the body to act them out. Yet it is never what the body does that seems to satisfy. Unless the mind believes the body is actually acting out of its fantasies, it will attack the body by increasing the projection of its guilt upon it. Excuse me. Didn't realize I was off mute. Thank you, Fran. And Donna. 51. Minds are joined. Bodies are not. Only by assigning to the mind the properties of the body does separation seem to be possible. And it is the mind that seems to be fragmented and private and alone. Its guilt, which keeps it separate, is projected to the body, which suffers and dies because it is attacked to hold the separation in the mind and let it not know its identity. Mind cannot attack, but it can make fantasies and direct the body to act them out. Yet it is never what the body does that seems to satisfy. Unless the mind believes the body is actually acting out its fantasies, it will attack the body by increasing the projection of its guilt upon it. 52. In this, the mind is clearly delusional. It cannot attack, but it maintains it can and uses what it does to hurt the body to prove it can. The mind cannot attack but it can deceive itself. And this is all it does when it believes believes it has attacked the body. It can project its guilt, but it will not lose it through projection. And though it clearly can misperceive the function of the body, it cannot change its function from what the Holy Spirit establishes it to be. The body was not made by love. Yet love does not condemn it and can use it lovingly, respecting what the Son of God has made and using it to save him from illusions. Thank you, Donna. And Karen. 
Maybe I'll go back one sentence. Unless the mind believes the body is actually acting out its fantasies, it will attack the body by increasing the projection of guilt upon it. In this, the mind is clearly delusional. It cannot attack, but it maintains it can and uses what it does to hurt the body to prove it can. The mind cannot attack, but it can deceive itself. And this it does, and this is all it does when it believes it has attacked the body. It can project its guilt, but it will not lose it through projection. And though it clearly can misperceive the function of the body, it cannot change its function from what the Holy Spirit establishes it to be. The body was not made by love, yet love does not condemn it and can use it lovingly, respecting what the Son of God has made and using it to save him from illusions. 53. Would you not have the instruments of separation reinterpreted as a means for salvation and used for the purposes of love? Would you not welcome and support the shift from fantasies of vengeance to release from them? Your perception of the body can clearly be sick, but project not this upon the body. For your wish to make destructive what cannot destroy can have no real effect at all. And what God created is only what he would have it be, being his will. You cannot make his will destructive. You can make fantasies in which your will conflicts with his, but that is all. Thank you, Karen. And Robin Marie. Fifty-three. Would you not have the instruments of separation reinterpreted as means for salvation and used for purposes of love? Would you not welcome and support the shift from fantasies of vengeance to release from them? Your perception of the body can clearly be sick, but project not this upon the body. For your wish to make destructive what cannot destroy can have no real effect at all. And what God created is only what he would have it be, being his will. You cannot make his will destructive. You can make fantasies in which your will conflicts with his, but that is all. 54. It is insane to use the body as a scapegoat for guilt directing its attack and blaming it for what you wished it to do. It is impossible to act out fantasies, for it is still fantasies you want, and they have nothing to do with what the body does. It does not dream of them, and they but make it a liability where it could be an asset, for fantasies have made your body your, quote, enemy, unquote, weak, vulnerable, and treacherous worthy of the hate which you invest in it. How has this served you? You have identified with this thing you hate, 
the instrument of vengeance, and the perceived source of your guilt. You have done this to a thing that has no meaning, proclaiming it to be the dwelling place of the Son of God and turning it against him. Thank you, Reverend Marie and Sandra. 54. It is insane to use the body as the scapegoat for guilt, directing its attack and blaming it for what you wished it to do. It is impossible to act out out fantasies, for it is still the fantasy you want, and they have nothing to do with what the body does. It does not dream of them, and they but make it a liability where it could be an asset. For fantasies have made your body your enemy, in quotes, weak, vulnerable, and treacherous, worthy of hate, which you invest in it. How has this served you? You have identified with this thing you hate, the instrument of vengeance and the perceived source of your guilt. You have done this to a thing that has no meaning, proclaiming it to be the dwelling place of the Son of God and turning it against him. 55. This is the host of God that you have made, and neither God nor his most holy Son can enter an abode which harbors hate and where you have sown the seeds of vengeance, violence, and death. This thing you made to serve your guilt stands between you and other minds. The minds are joined, but you do not identify with them. You see yourself locked in a separate prison, removed and unreachable, incapable of reaching out as being reached. You hate this prison you have made and would destroy it, but you would not escape from it, leaving it unharmed without your guilt upon it. Thank you, Sandra and Lana. Of 55, this is the host of God that you have made, and neither God nor his most holy Son can enter an abode which harbors hate and where you have sown the seeds of vengeance, violence, and death. Hold on just a second. This thing you have made to serve your guilt stands between you and other minds. The minds are joined, but you do not identify with them. You see yourself locked in a separate prison, removed and unreachable, incapable of reaching out as being reached. You hate this prison you have made and would destroy it, but you would not escape from it leaving it unharmed without your guilt upon it. 56. Yet only thus can you escape. The home of vengeance is not yours. The place you set aside aside to house your hate is not a prison 
but an illusion of yourself. The body is a limit imposed on the universal communication, which is an eternal property of the mind. But the communication is internal. It is not made up of different parts which reach each other. Mind reaches to itself. It does not go out. Within itself, it has no limits, and there is nothing outside it. It encompasses everything. It encompasses you entirely, you within it and it within you. There is nothing else, anywhere or ever. Thank you, Lana. And is there a new reader for 56 and 57? Oh, good morning, Lemoyne. It's Jude. I can do it. Thank you, Judy. Yet only thus can you escape. The home of vengeance is not yours. The place you set aside to house your hate is not a prison, but an illusion of yourself. The body is a limit imposed on the universal communication, which is an eternal property of the mind. But the communication is internal. It is not made up of different parts, which reach each other. Mind reaches to itself. It does not go out within itself. It it has no limits, and there is nothing outside it. It encompasses everything. Excuse me. It encompasses you entirely, you within it, and it within you. There is nothing else, anywhere or ever. The body is outside you, but and but seems to surround you, shutting you off from others and keeping you apart from them and them from you. It is not there. There is no barrier between God and his son, nor can his son be separated from himself, except in illusions. This is not his reality, though he believes it is. Yet this could only be if God were wrong. God would have had to create differently and to have separated himself from his son to make this possible. He would have had to create different things and to establish different orders of reality, only some of which were love. Yet love must be forever like itself, changeless, forever and forever, without, without, without alternative. And so it is. You cannot put a barrier around yourself because God placed none between himself and you. Whew. Thank you, Judy. And is there another new reader who would like to read uh, 57 and 58? 
It's hurts and I'll give it a try. 57. The body is outside you and it seems to surround you, shutting you off from others and keeping you apart from them and them from you. It is not there. There is no barrier between God and his son, nor can his son be separated from himself except in illusions. This is not his reality, though he believes it is. Yet, this could only be if God were wrong. God would have had to create differently and to have separated himself from his son to make this possible. He would have had to create different things and to establish different orders of reality, only some of which were love. Yet love must be forever like itself, changeless forever and forever without alternative. And so it is. You cannot put a barrier around yourself because God placed none between <coughs> himself and you. <coughs> Excuse me. 58. You can stretch out your hand and reach to heaven. You whose hands are joined have begun to reach beyond the body, but not outside yourselves, to reach your shared identity together. Should this be outside you, where God is not? Is he a body? And did he create you as he is not and where he cannot be? You are surrounded only by him and capital H. What limit can there be on you whom he encompasses? Everyone has experienced what he would call a sense of being transported beyond himself. This feeling of liberation far exceeds the dream of freedom sometimes experienced in special relationships. It is a sense of actual escape from limitations.
Thank you, Harrison. And is there another new reader for 58 and 59? Okay, back to you, Laurie. Uh, thank you. 58. You can stretch out your hand and reach to heaven. You whose hands are joined have begun to reach beyond the body, but not outside yourselves. To reach your shared identity together. Could this be outside you? Or God is not? Is he a body, and did he create you as he is not, and where he cannot be? You are surrounded only by him. What limit can there be on you whom he encompasses? Everyone has experienced what he would call a sense of being transported beyond himself. This feeling of liberation far exceeds the dream of freedom sometimes experienced in special relationships. It is a sense of actual escape from limitations. 59. If you will consider what this quote-unquote transportation really entails, you will realize that it is a sudden unawareness of the body and a joining of yourself and something else in which your mind enlarges to encompass it. It becomes part of you as you unite with it and both become whole as neither is perceived as separate. What really happens is that you have given up the illusion of a limited awareness and lost your fear of union. The love that instantly replaces it extends to what has freed you and unites with it. And while this lasts, you are not uncertain of your capital identity and would not limit it. You have escaped from fear to peace, asking no questions of reality, but merely accepting it. You have accepted this instead of the body and have let yourself be one with something beyond it simply by not letting your mind be limited by it. Thank you, Lori. And Brian. 59. If you will consider what this quote-unquote transportation really entails, you will realize that it is a sudden unawareness of the body and a joining of yourself and something else in which your mind enlarges to encompass it. It becomes part of you as you unite with it, and both become whole as neither is perceived as separate. What really happens is that you have given up the illusion of a limited awareness and lost your fear of union. The love that instantly replaces it extends to what has freed you and unites with it. And while this lasts, you are not uncertain of your identity and would not limit it. You have escaped from fear to peace, asking no questions of reality, but merely accepting it. You have accepted this instead of the body and have let yourself be one with something beyond it simply by not letting your mind be limited by it. 60. This can occur regardless of the physical distance which seems to be between you and what you join. 
of your respective positions in space and of your differences in size and seeming quality. Time is not relevant. It can occur with something past, present, or anticipated. The quote-unquote something can be anything and anywhere, a sound, a sight, a thought, a memory, and even a general idea without specific reference. Yet in every case, you joined it without reservation because you love it and would be with it. And so you rush to meet it, letting your limits melt away, suspending all the quote-unquote laws your body obeys and gently setting them aside. Thank you, Fran. And Donna. Six, six, sixty. I'm going back to uh, 59. You have accepted this instead of the body and have let yourself be one with something beyond it simply by not letting your mind Donna, be limited. Donna, start one more sentence back. I missed the chance to do this earlier. Um, start with you. Escaped. In 59, you have escaped from fear to peace. Can you repeat that? Yes. Would you please back up and start with the sentence, the next to last sentence. It starts, you have escaped from fear to peace. Oh, okay. I just underlined it. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't catch it. Thank you. Sorry. 59. <clears throat> yes, because I am. Uh, you have escaped from fear to peace, asking no questions of reality, but merely accepting it. You have accepted this instead of the body and have let yourself be one with something beyond it simply by not letting your mind be limited by it. 60. This can occur regardless of the physical distance, which seems to be between you and what you join or your respective positions in space and of your differences in size and seeming quality. Time is not relevant. It can occur without some, with something past, present, or anticipated. The quote something can be anything and anywhere, a sound, a sight, a thought, a memory, and even a general idea without specific reference. Yet, in every case, you joined it without reservation because you love it and would be with it. And so you rush to meet it, letting your limits melt away, suspending all the, quote, laws your body obeys and gently setting them aside. 61. There is no violence at all in this escape. The body is not attacked, but simply, simply properly perceived. It does not limit you merely because you would not have it so. You are not really lifted out of it. It cannot contain you. You go where you would be, gaining 
not losing a sense of self. In these instances of release from physical restrictions, you experience much of what happens in the holy instant. The lifting of the barriers of time and space, the sudden experience of peace and joy, and above all, the lack of awareness of the body and of the questioning whether or not all this is possible. Thank you, Donna. And Karen? 61. There is no violence at all in this escape. The body is not attacked, but simply properly perceived. It does not limit you merely because you would not have it. So, you are not really, quote unquote, lifted out of it. It cannot contain you. You go where you would be, gaining, not losing, a sense of self. In these instances of release, from physical restrictions, you experience much of what happens in the holy instant. The lifting of the barriers of time and space, the sudden experience of peace and joy, and above all, the lack of awareness of the body and of the questioning whether or not all this is possible. 62. It is possible because you want it. The sudden expansion of the self which takes place with your desire for it is the irresistible appeal the holy instant holds. It calls to you to be yourself within its safe embrace. There are the laws of limit lifted for you to welcome you to openness of mind and freedom. Come to this place of refuge where you can be yourself in peace, not through destruction, not through a quote-unquote breaking out, but merely by a quiet, quote, melting in, unquote. For peace will join you there simply because you have been willing to let go the limit you have placed upon love and joined it where it is and where it led you in answer to its gentle call to be at peace. Thank you, Karen. And uh, I thought, Robin Marie, that you should read the sentence before out of 61 but it's like 80% of that paragraph. Could you just read 61 and 62 again? 61. There is no violence at all in this escape. The body is not attacked, but simply properly perceived. It does not limit you merely because you would not have it so. You are not really, quote, lifted out, unquote, of it. It cannot contain you. You go where you would be, gaining, not losing, a sense of self. In these instances of release from physical restrictions, you experience much of what happens in the holy instant. The lifting of the barriers 
of time and space, the sudden experience of peace and joy, and above all, the lack of awareness of the body and of the questioning whether or not all this is possible. 62. It is possible because you want it. The sudden expansion of the self, which takes place with your desire for it, is the irresistible appeal the holy instant holds. It calls to you to be yourself within its safe embrace. There are the laws of limit lifted for you to welcome you to openness of mind and freedom. Come to this place of refuge where you can be yourself in peace, not through destruction, not through a, quote, breaking out, unquote, but merely by a, quote, uh, by a quiet, quote, melting in, unquote. For peace will join you there simply because you have been willing to let go the limits you have placed upon love and joined it where it is and where it led you in answer to its gentle call to be at peace. Thank you, Robin Marie, and thank you everyone who read this morning. It's uh, elevating section, um, and we're just past the top of the hour, so Fran, would you lead us in the remembrance of our lesson? Sure. Thank you. Hi, everybody. We are still in the first part of the workbook, and we are on review six. And today we are reviewing lesson 185, I Want the Peace of God. So I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from the introduction, and then we'll go over and do our five-minute practice. Review six. For this review, we take but one idea each day and practice it as often as possible. Besides the time we give morning and evening which should not be less than 15 minutes, and the hourly remembrances we make throughout the day. Use the idea as often as you can between them. Each of these ideas alone would be sufficient for salvation if it were learned truly. Each would be enough to give release to you and to the world from every form of bondage and invite the memory of God to come again. With this in mind, we start our practicing in which we carefully review the thoughts the Holy Spirit has bestowed on us in our last 20 lessons. Each contains the whole curriculum if understood, practiced, accepted, and applied to all the seeming happenings throughout the day. One is enough. But for that one, there must be no exceptions made. And so we need to use them all and let them blend as one as each contributes to the whole we learn. Now we'll go over to the lesson 205, which is the review of lesson 185. I am not a body. I am free, for I am still as God created me. I want the peace of God. The peace of God is everything I want. 
The peace of God is my one goal. The aim of all my living here, the end I seek, my purpose and my function and my life while I abide where I am not at home. I am not a body. I am free. For I am still as God created me. We'll take our five minutes now.
Lesson 205. I am not a body. I am free. For I am still as God created me. I want the peace of God. The peace of God is everything I want. The peace of God is my one goal, the aim of all my living here. The end I seek, my purpose and my function and my life will I abide where I am not at home. I am not a body. I am free. For I am still as God created me. Amen. Amen. Thank Amen. you so much, Fran. Thank you, Fran. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This is Donna. I got three things from our reading today. The first is my battle cry, and it's from Metapsychiatry. The last sentence in paragraph six says, there is nothing else anywhere. And the prayer we have from Dr. Horace, everything everywhere is already all right. And I needed to hear that today. And in 58, he said, uh, uh, sentence says, you are surrounded only by him. You are surrounded only by God. And what came to me was the scripture, we live and move and have being in God. And this morning, just before this call, I am looking at, at my pain. And I said to myself, I have no fear. And I really don't. I said, I barely even believe in the body. And I know that this is but a dream. So I asked God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, well, what is the meaning of my pain? And I open up this reading today, and the meaning is guilt. And I think, guilt? I don't have no guilt. How can I have guilt? So it's very interesting because when I began to think, well, how is it that I have guilt that I project into this body that I can be in such an excruciating pain? I mean, the pain is excruciating, but, you know, I give it no cause. If it gets in my way, I take a couple of Tylenol. And, 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 you know, I, I do what it, I need to do until I finally know what I need to know. But I went to the uh, uh, Christ Scientist Church yesterday. And before the meeting, I was talking with the two, two lovely ladies who were ushers. And I, I said, oh, I forgot my book today. I said, I, I, said, I, 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 I guess I forgot it because... Uh, I was very prideful because I wanted to show everybody how I, much I marked it up. And she very quietly said, don't be so hard on yourself, which I took to be, you know, her being merciful and kind. But today her words come back to me. Don't be so hard on myself. I am holding myself guilty for every little thing that I think people are or were or still think of me, their opinion, which is keeps me in low self-esteem. So 
I'm so grateful that I show up and I love you all. I'm so glad we're holding hands because I need your hand. I am complete. Oh, that was beautiful, Donna. Just beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Donna. That was just so lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Need your hand, too. Thank you. Yes, thankful. Thank you, Donna. Good morning, Mrs. Sandra. And um, I am not a body. I am free. I am still as God created me. So I am spirit. And um, the body is just a neutral communication device. And the right use of the, of the body would be to use the body to communicate the truth of spirit, which is unity and oneness and seeing God in everything, seeing the Christ in everyone. But it comes from my power of decision, and I can't say that enough. It's my power of decision that decides how I will use the body today or abuse the body today. And I would say that it's that some of the guilt comes from, you know, my abuse of the body, of not taking good care of this body with what I know it it needs or it wants. Um, I can and I also got from this reading that I create my own reality. And there's really only one reality, and that's my relationship to God and all of creation. I'm complete. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Good morning, Miss Harrison. Uh, the idea of the body figures prominently in uh, the review, of course. Um, and he's constantly reminding me that I'm not a body. I am free from still as God created me. Clearly in that statement, he's saying, yeah, I didn't create you as a body. As far as God is concerned, the body does not exist. He says in today's reading that the body is a limit imposed on the universal communication, which is an eternal property of mind. But the communication is internal 
minds communicate. That's where the communication takes place, real communication. He says the body is outside you and it seems to surround you, shutting you off from others and keeping you apart from others and others from you. It is not there. Those four words just really captures a lot. It, meaning the body, is not there. I have placed the body as a barrier not only between my brothers and sisters and myself, but between God and me. I judge myself by what my body does or does not do. I judge others about what their body does and what they do not do. And in that judgment, I have separated myself from God. I have separated myself from my reality. And to get back to the truth of who I am, I must accept that I am not a body. I am free. So I am still as God created me without equivocation. I really don't need a body. Not necessary. I'm complete. Beautiful. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. This is Yogi Chris. I'm just listening. Morning, Yogi Chris. Good morning, Chris. Thank you, Laurie. Welcome, Chris.
Hi, Yogi Chris. Hi, Lana, love artist. This is Donna. I have a question. <clears throat> is uh, when we read about this um, these experiences, so to speak, that that we have, where we lose for moments awareness of the body, be, and we're I'm assuming we're where we want to be, say with a loved one, and uh, and our consciousness, or re- remembering something. Uh, that gives us peace is am I right about that or or have I misunderstood uh, what these quote unquote I guess sort of out of out of a body experiences are thanks hi uh, it's Anna um, okay did you did you want to speak Lori? Not at all. I just wanted to acknowledge what an excellent okay. question that is. Thank you. Yeah, it is. Um, I've had some mystical experiences um, which were dramatic, but I've also had experience where I've lost awareness of the of the body in very simple, mundane uh, situations too. It's it's. Um, it's a captivation, and for me, it's mainly experiences of love, you know, where that love, it could be in a relationship with a brother or sister, it could be when I'm painting, it could be when I'm writing and communing, communing with, with Jesus in the morning, um, it could be anything which renders the thought about the body as being just not something that's of any importance to me. It always wasn't that way. I remember when I had um, that experience that I've shared before, you know, I woke up and the priest was putting oil on my forehead, so I knew um, it wasn't a good situation. But what happened, you know, after he left, what I ha- what happened was exactly how how Jesus tells us it it's like um i saw that or i recognized that the body couldn't save me you know here i depended all my life on the body saving me from death and it wasn't even at a conscious level i just walked along through life um thinking that was true and here i was in a situation where you know it wasn't going to save me. It didn't look like it was going to save me. So in that moment, it lost its value 
to me. And as soon as that really clicked in, um, it was like I was out of my body. I mean, in fact, I don't even say I was in my body or out of my body. The body had nothing to do with my experience that afternoon or evening. And um, it became irrelevant. And when that happened, um, I was I did feel free. I felt so free and so peaceful. And it was like it was okay for me to leave and it was okay for me to stay. I had no preference. Either way was fine with me. Either way would bring me peace and safety. So the body just became a... Um, it, it just meant nothing. It had no importance to me anymore. You know, I just kind of enjoyed the ride through that mystical experience of oneness. Now, when I first started, <laughs> when I first started my spiritual work, this was back in the 70s, and I had, I was laying on the couch, and all of a sudden I popped out of my body, and I was like, my consciousness was like racing around the ceiling bouncing from one corner of the ceiling to another. And believe me, the only thought that I had was, how do I get back in my body? It was a very fearful situation. And, and that was my whole focus that was to get back in my body. But between then and now, of course, um, I'm a whole different I'm at a whole different level of consciousness, and I can see that I don't need my body to exist. My existence has nothing to do with a body, and I'm okay if I'm in one and I'm okay if I'm out of one. And, um, you know, so uh, it's it's what this uh, reading meant to me again today. It's like it's the meaning we give to things that make, that turn them into idols. The body is neutral except as a communication device. And if I give it any other purpose or assign it any other value, I'm going to probably experience pain because it's not set up for that, you know, and I'm going to be disappointed when it fails me. Um, you know, when I hold it just as a communication device that I can utilize to share the love of God with, then, you know, we get along fine. You know, and it doesn't matter whether it appears sick or well. I don't project any guilt on it uh, because I know that's not its, it's not its function to be anything other than it is. Just like it's not my function to be anything other than I am. You know, so anyhow. That's just my two cents. I'm complete. Oh, that was beautiful, Lana. Thank you. Thank you, Lana. And I would just like to add that as a communication device, the body is temporary. It's just temporary because there is another level of communication that we are capable of. Uh, and when we come to the realization that we're not a body, 
that we are mind, purely mind, and only mind. And we communicate as minds. That's the purest form of communication. Indeed, it really is the only real form of communication. Even if it seems like we're communicating via bodies, if we are communicating at the level of truth, then it's mind-to-mind communication because that's where God resides and complete. Thank you, Harrison. Oh, so true, Harrison. Thank you for that. Thank you, Harrison. Good morning, it's Karen. I have some ideas, some thoughts. Um, I'm not body, I'm spirit. I am light. The light is the universal communication. The spirit is the universal communication that encompasses everything. Um, I have an illusion of myself, which is my body, which was miscreated by my ego mind. Um, I've studied body work. I used to be a practitioner of polarity therapy. And uh, I'm also, I also study therapy, you know, a licensed social worker, MSW therapist. What I feel like the body is, is the body is like a storehouse of all the falsehood the ego mind has created. And the more that we forgive, use the word forgiveness in the Course in Miracles, the more forgiveness, the more healing we experience, the more we let go of these memories, past associations, guilt, fears, falsehoods that the ego mind has stored, the more, we, the more light we have, the more the body becomes one, the body, the physical body becomes one with our true self. That's why when you go to a spiritual master, um, you know, they're just pure light. They have no ego. You know, the saints, they have no ego. They're pure light. They've dissolved all that ego residue that, that created the physical body, the manifestation and form. There's also the emotional body, you know, but we don't have to get into the, you know, labeling because the Course keeps telling us not to look at the, the fragmentation. The ego would send you on an infinite journey to label every, every detail. I mean, it becomes understood as time goes on. Um, one paragraph of the reading that really jumped out at me today was this one. It is insane to use the body as the scapegoat for guilt directing its attack and blaming it for what you wished it to do. It is impossible to act out fantasies, for it is still the fantasies you want, and they have nothing to do with what the body does. It does not dream of them, and they they but make it a liability where it could be an asset. 
For fantasies have made your body your enemy. Weak, vulnerable, and treacherous, worthy of hate, which you invest in it. How has this served you? You have identified with this thing you hate, the instrument of your vengeance and the perceived source of your guilt. You have done this to a thing that has no meaning. Well, when I was meditating on that this morning, I thought when I was a child, you know, I was always being bad. (laughs) Don't do this, don't do that. And then you do something and you didn't know you weren't, you know, it was bad, but it was the body that did this bad thing. You know, you touched something and it broke. Or, you know, in my personal history, there was sexual abuse. So the body had a reaction to something that was happening and oh my god it made me sinful and then after that it was addiction and it's just been an ongoing trauma of fantasies that made my body my enemy my body has and that was the programming the ego's programming of childhood the the body is my enemy so you know i've worked on i've worked on many layers of this but it's still my enemy because I'm still very overweight. And I never was overweight until two years. It started about two years ago. And um, it's just gotten worse and worse over the past two years. But the body isn't doing it. It's some block in the mind that's not healed. There's some block in the mind that's still holding on to guilt. And it's still using the body to act out a fantasy of guilt. And and the course is just beyond belief how it how it explains this to us. And um I also just wanted to add that, you know, I go to acupuncture and the acupuncturist is a master spiritual person healer. I mean it's really quite an I don't know, unbelievable miracle that this door is open for me to see this person to work with him and he keeps bringing me back into the body and he says that all my energy is going out and I'm thinking my energy is going out in course language ACIM language into the space itself you know to be one with everything but he keeps bringing me back into the body which made me wonder why and it's because if we don't bring the light into the ego mind so not that not that we're bringing it in but it has to be integrated so the holy spirit can release the falsehood and otherwise then these blocks will form disease as time goes on and um that's my interpretation of it i mean i meditated for many years and i'm pretty good at going out of my body but I've been wondering what the value of bringing that energy into this physical thing that the Course is telling us is an illusion because we can't heal and purify uh, something we, we are not aware of. Anyway, it's just a thought. I'm complete. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. So many good thoughts. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. Hi, this is Yogi Kress. I'd like to share about 
this topic. Um, I love the prayer, I'm not a body, I am free, for I am still as God created. Uh, I interpret that as not being the body, but however, I could I could uh, be aware of whatever the body is presented, it's presenting and not identify with it. The body is a wonderful tool for me to be present in the moment. The body is present all the time, but the body likes to time travel. So present moment awareness is such an important factor. And not just um, what the body is presenting, but what the mind is presenting. I love the thought of not being identified with the content of my mind, of the mind. And there's, a, there's some background sound. I, I don't think it's disturbing to my sharing. Um, I, um, so, again, I could, I could witness what the body is presenting but not be identified with it and, and just uh, stay in the present moment identifying with awareness of what's happening. Um, and I had a opportunity in the past to disidentify with the feeling of itch, for example, and it's accompanying uh, emotions of disappointment, uh, concern, and things like that. It wasn't until I witnessed that and observed that in a, in a very loving way did a lot of the uh, ways of looking with accompanying emotions passed away. And now I'm much more uh, free of the symptoms. It's like a, a phantom uh, discomfort, let's just say. When someone has been experiencing the phenomenon of a limb, a toe that's been hurting for the longest time, and that gets amputated, it feels like the toe is still hurting. It's because we've identified I, with, with, with that hurt, and it's still in our minds, but it's not there physically. So um, same thing, I, I used to wear a watch that used to uh, vibrate every hour to remind me of the lesson and to remind me to keep my mind present and aware. And now I don't need that vibrating watch. I maintain it pretty much on a consistent basis, but however, I feel, I still feel that I have that alarm on and it's still vibrating. How is that? Well, if I observe that and uh, disidentify from that, it just passes away, just like any other energy, because I believe we're energy that vibrates in certain frequencies. So it just passes away as, as we disidentify from it. And 
yeah, I want the peace of God. I I proclaim that when I undo any non-peace in the form of ways of looking with accompanying emotions. And I do that uh, uh, when I'm the observer, the witness, the 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 watcher of uh, these communications that happen within the body, which communicates the content of the mind. Of course, if I'm feeling a feel, if I'm observing a feeling in the body, it's because the mind is communicating that. And my goodness, if it wasn't for the body, I that I would have been trapped in that way of looking and reacting within the mind. So, it's it's a wonderful tool of the opportunity for forgiveness, but it's also a wonderful tool to communicate love, whether it's a a loving word or a loving action. Uh, so uh, I don't know if that helps. I I'm, I, I wanted, I, of course, I want to be truly only to be truly helpful in my share. Take care. Thank you. That was helpful, Chris. Thank you so much. Yes, it was. Thank you, Chris. Hi, it's Adriana again. Um, I hope I'm on the porch, so I apologize for background noise. <laughs> Try to keep the phone close to me. Um, I I think I love what you shared, Chris. You know, it's um, our awareness does seem to time travel, and um. And as Jesus tells us, uh, teaches us that the closest approximation we have to eternity is to be present here and now. And that's, of course, where my healing takes place. I step out of time and return my awareness to here and now. And um, and f- for me, um, it's really fundamental um, for me to remember that I'm not in a body. I'm not in a world. <laughs> they are both within me. You know, the enormity, the immensity of spirit could never hold a body or my body could not hold it, nor could the world hold the enormity of my spirit. So it's it's fundamental because that always points my mind within me uh, for healing, that's where the cause is. The effects of my misperceptions seem to show up in a world that's outside of me or a body that I'm in. But, um, you know, that doesn't affect the truth. The truth is always that I'm having an experience and um, and Jesus has has told me that what's important is for me to look at my relationship with a body, with my body, to look at my relationship with the world. And um, as you were sharing, Chris, just to notice, um, am I at peace? Am I at peace in my relationship with this body? Am I at peace in my relationship with the world? And and all my brothers and sisters that seem to walk in the world with me. Um, and, and that will immediately tell me 
um, if healing is necessary. You know, I don't have to ponder it any farther than that. I don't have to understand any metaphysical principles. I just have to notice if I'm at peace or not. You know, what's the purpose of anything? Is it a holy purpose? And this is a decision that I make. I make a decision whether this relationship is dedicated to holiness or my relationship with my body is dedicated to holiness or with the world because God kicks in as soon as my purpose is established in my mind. And God always responds, or you could say (laughs) reality always responds to what I want. And sometimes I think I want things that um, will not bring me peace. You know, I can become confused about uh, love and fear. And this happens a lot in what we call these special relationships. We do what we think is loving, but it's not a pure love. It's a love that I contrive to get something from the other person, and then that becomes, um, I'm always, you know, I will be, I'll set myself up to be disappointed because my brother is not here to please me. My brother is here for me to see the Christ in him and for me to wake up. You know, that's why I think Jesus calls our brothers and sisters our saviors because we see within them a reflection of the condition of our mind. And um, so mind becomes the go-to place <laughs> for, for anything, whether it's the world, my body, my um, relationships with people. Um, you know, am I at peace? Have I assigned a peaceful purpose to the to these relationships, which is another way of saying, have I turned them over to Holy Spirit? Because once I do that, the path is laid out before me, and I don't use the intellect at all to figure anything out. In fact, I need do nothing. I must do nothing, but set the purpose as a holy one and get out of the way so God can allow, so I can see what unfolds with that holy purpose and intention. So um, I think that's all. I think I'm complete with that. <laughs> I'll shut up for a while now. Thank you. Thank you, Lana. Thank you, Lana. Thank you, Lana. Good morning, guys. This is Lori. And boy, I've heard some really good stuff here this morning. Uh, So much that I resonate with. Um, 
As regards the title of this section, Dreams of the Body, I'm reminded that um, later on in this work, he says the body is the hero of every dream. And he also says that awareness of dreaming is the function of God's Son. He watches the dream figures come and go and shift and change, but remembers always that unity alone is not a thing of dreams. Um, I, I like um, nighttime dreams, and um, and and I've noticed the character and quality of my dreams at night have changed um, in in the same proportion. Um, in fact, in the equal proportion to which I let my mind be clarified. And no longer is my body the hero of my dreams. Uh, but I'm still uh, shifting and changing in my awareness. And I've talked before about the dream of the love, love boat, uh, the sea of love, and Christ is both at the rudder and is the wind in the sails. And there sits my body <laughs> with nothing to do in this dream, fully aware that there's nothing to do. And even now, there's still a part of me that wants Jesus, his mind, to be in his body and hold me in mine. But the point of this dream and this relationship is that it's a relationship with the cosmic Christ. And in this cosmic Christ, there's nothing but the awareness of love and the mind of the Father, which is love. You know, we were created in God's image and likeness. God does not have an image, he says, and neither do you. There is no image that could stand for what you are. And in this work, he, um, he, he enjoins us constantly, constantly, to uh, embrace the vision of Christ. And the vision of Christ is, is, and here's the thing of my dream, it took me the longest time to realize that on this love boat and this sea of love, there's nothing else. There's nothing to see. You see, there's nothing to see with the body's eyes because everything is directed by love and is in love. This is the relationship of the Father to the Son. He says that you know well. And later on, beyond the sun, the moon, and the stars is an arc of golden light. I mean, this relationship of the Father to the Son in Christ is everything that there is. That's all. And, um, and, and I love this Course in Miracles precisely for the way he uses language that entices and draws and compels the mind to agree with truth. Um, and he does it so perfectly, so beautifully. And, um, and and one of the most beautiful paragraphs in the work 
I think, is paragraph 59, and I was so grateful to be able to read it because it's such a perfect description of the holy instant. And, um, and when I read that paragraph, paragraph 59, and set it right next to chapter 11, paragraph 60, I'm given a perfect picture of the holy instant and the restoration of communication with my mind and the mind of my father. I came across this, and I'm certain it's just absolutely fortuitous because it answers the question that you asked, Donna, and I hope you're still on the call. Oh, let me see. Oh, Donna's left. No, Donna's here. Excellent. Because the question that you asked was something about what are we to make of these holy instants and the relationship of the holy instant to the lack of awareness of the body. And it's so fortuitous that I received this communication this morning from uh, Richard Rohr in his daily meditation. And in case you um, aren't aware of the work, Richard Rohr wrote a book called The Universal Christ that um, describes this relationship of our true identity to our Father. And I mean I with a capital I. And here's here's exactly how he answers that question that you asked, Donna. And it's so perfect and fortuitous that you asked the question. He says, the spiritual journey is a constant interplay between moments of awe followed by a process of surrender to that moment. We must first allow ourselves to be captured by the goodness, truth, or beauty of something beyond and outside ourselves. Then we universalize from that moment to the goodness, truth, and beauty of the rest of reality until our realization finally eventually ricochets back to include ourselves. This is the great inner dialogue we call prayer. And all of life is prayer. You see, we as humans resist both the awe and even more the surrender, but both are vital. And Chris, to answer you, and so we must practice, 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 generalizing. You know, in chapter 4 he says, your minds are naturally abstract. Naturally abstract. The lesson of the atonement is that there's only oneness. It's a fact. But the ego, the ego mind, induces us to a spurious, he says, kind of generalization, a fake, a facsimile, a not truth, so that we decide who do we want to interact with and who don't we. And we take apart reality and place it into fragments and pieces. The poet says, you are not, you are a drop in the ocean and you are also the drop. In other words, there's only oneness. You know, the wave on the sea, individual waves might look different, but every wave is a part of the ocean. You know, I have to move my mind. No, 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 no. I have to allow my mind to be moved from these moments of awe, these holy instants where I'm in total communication with everything around me. 
in love. I have to let my mind be moved from those moments to an eventual reality that's just like he says. It ricochets back to me. And then Karen, like you said, the mind is only light. And he says, also, when a mind has only light, what does it need? When a mind has only peace, what does it need? Nothing but to radiate. Nothing but to radiate. And then I'm back to that perfect little song we sang as children. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know, this innocence is restored to my mind as I share it, as I see it. He says, your brother is sacrament and benediction unto you. Your way, tomorrow we'll read this, your way will be different. Your way, way of holy relationship, where I discover love's meaning in the shared mind that I can have with anything or anyone, regardless of time. I can have this relationship, this cosmic Christ, this universal relationship of light. And it turns out that uh, it just gets better and better. And uh, we take these moments of awe and learn to, as a consequence, release the illusions that bound me and kept me defended from them. And uh, the sky's the limit. The sky's utterly and truly the limit. You who could give the love of God to everything you see and touch and feel and experience are literally denying heaven to yourself. He says, on surrender. On surrender. I've given everything I see, all the meaning that it has for me. But when I give up attack thoughts, judgment thoughts, thoughts that keep me defended, thoughts that keep me separate, I can experience and know what it means to give the love of God to everything I see and touch and experience. This reading is so, so, so beautiful. And I have to say that um, the other thing I was shared with this weekend, uh, when Saturday I read that first sentence, there is nothing outside you. When I let go this idea of in and out, that keeps me isolated in a sack of skin. When I let go that idea of in and out, I can embrace and experience the fact that there is nothing outside this person because this person was a fiction. You know, the ego and the body are part of the same illusion. The ego and the body are bound together in the same illusion. That illusion of in and out is what keeps me from understanding that everything outside me that I think I see with my body's eyes is included within me. And Holy Spirit asked me to share on Saturday when I read this that all I need to do is change my frame of reference. And so when he gives me a word or a phrase, I look it up because I know he means business. In just a minute, I have to tell you the definition of frame of reference. <laughs> Forgot to keep that here. Um, 
I have to get to my right mailbox because I mailed it to myself to make sure I wouldn't forget it. <laughs> frame of reference. All I need to do is let go of my frame of reference. What is frame of reference? A set of ideas, conditions, or assumptions that determine how something will be approached, perceived, and understood. Isn't that exactly what he says in paragraph 59? The mind enlarges, and because of this great enlargement that the mind experiences, it loves what caused that experience of enlargement, and so we rush to it. When I let go of that frame of reference that keeps me bound to the ego thought system, I will learn, remember, and experience that there is nothing outside me except love. And I'm complete. Thank you, Laurie. That was just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you, Lord. Here's a personification of love. Thank you. This is Donna. Thank you, Lori, because you gave me some missing pieces. <clears throat> you know, you ask God, He will answer. That's real. Ask anything, and He will answer. So I got my answer as I listened. And, and Laura, you put in um, awareness, awareness you mentioned. And uh, what you said and who you quoted, that this, this is, I'm going to start from the backwards. John, St. Paul says, I'd rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Now, the, whole, the ego, or the, the, the duality is this, absent-mindedness. So there is absence from the body present with the Lord, and there is being absent-minded. And we're absent-minded. We're usually having troubled thoughts in our human condition level of thinking. Presence with the Lord is, has been revealed to me here. Thank you so much, Lori. I, I, you, you had the, the key I needed. So the other problem I was having, the, the other word that came this week in our lesson, awareness of oneness. You just identified that perfectly when you said, quoted the, about all. So when I'm absent from my body, I'm awareness of all. Because I couldn't figure out, well, what it, what's going on? I wrote this down because this describes completely to me what I've been living in and, and thought it was a human thing. I drive along absent-minded, absent from the body, seemingly unaware. I'm not paying attention to the traffic, traveling 65-plus miles an hour around me and in front of me and behind me, not aware I have two hands on the steering wheel and no sensation. I drive along the freeway like that. I do that quite often. I, I am a, a loner. I do have a lot of peace. So you kind of identified, helped me identify Okay, when I do finally wake up, uh, I become aware that I'm in a body driving a car on the freeway, of course I berate myself and pick on myself right away, which is the same thing to do. But 
because of my asking the question and everyone having a facet of the answer for me, I, uh, after I get over berating myself, now I'm here having this experience and I'm understanding what's going on, yet I was safe. Now, you gave me the words. I tried to say, I, I was not thinking, I was being. But you see, when I wrote that, Lori, and others, I had no real true meaning of what I was really saying. But it's in the first paragraph awareness of perfect oneness when we are absent from the body and present with the lord we're in an awareness of all that's why and when i'm in that state driving on the freeway i'm safe now what i also understand is i have no sensation nothing but i understand it seems if there is something that does happen i seem to be startled awake now, that's because I'm thinking my ego, oh, I wasn't paying attention, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know. But no, I'm saying even in that, which it will teach me to stop doing that and do it rather, it's what I'm doing all the time anyway. But on the freeway, you notice it when you wake up. So when I wake up, when, when you become aware, once you evaluate, yeah, yes, I was out of my mind, I was out of my body. Where was I? Well, there is no body, so I wasn't out of my body. I was sitting in a car with my hands on a steering wheel, so to speak, in the wrong world. But anyway, it just clarified me perfectly why I'm in pain, because I continue to misjudge all my actions and then feel guilty for it. God only knows I may have gotten healed today. And it all started with that woman that quietly saying to me in charge, church, don't be so hard on yourself. So I got the answer to what leads up to the holy instant today. I don't think I've been there yet, but who knows, maybe I have. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you. I'm missing my other class, but I couldn't help it. I just love (laughs) y'all. Thank you. Thank God that I have such brothers in Christ. I am complete. Thank you. Wow. Oh, it's beautiful, Donna. We do not go on alone. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Donna. And thank you, Donna. Good morning, Mrs. Sandra. Be quick. Um, I just want to say, let it begin with me. Do I let the love of God take care of my body? How would that look for me? Well, for me, it looks like eating really healthy food, organic food. How do I care for this body? Is how I care for the earth. The earth does not need us in order to exist. And spirit doesn't need us in order to still exist either. It'll find another way to express itself. And there are more ways than just having a human body as a communication device to express spirit. But there is a a connection between how I treat my body and how I treat the earth. I'm complete. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Sandra. Amen to that. 
Yes, indeed. Thank you, Sandra. Well, I was thinking I might have to ask you to close the call, Lori, because the power went off a few minutes ago here. It came right back on. And uh, I'm getting there. So while this thing is returning the blue button to me, let me just, I just want to reflect on a few things. <clears throat> a couple things. One thing from the reading is in the first paragraph. That heaven is not a place nor a condition. It is merely an awareness of perfect oneness and the, and the knowledge that there is nothing else nothing outside this oneness, and nothing else within. And uh, this uh, awareness of oneness is, uh, is spoken of often in this text as light, <laughs> the light, the light that comes from God's strength, his strength, not mine alone. And and so from Lesson 108, true light, which makes true vision possible, is not the light the body's eyes behold. It is a state of mind which has become so unified that darkness cannot be perceived at all. In the paragraph before, what is light except the resolution born of peace of all your conflicts and mistaken thoughts into one concept, which is wholly true? And I, <laughs> I just want to say that it sounds to me like it's just acceptance, acceptance of peace. And this wanting of peace, wanting of the peace of God is not from lack, but just from recognition that it is the condition for the holy instant that it talks about in uh, practicing the holy instant where it says the uh, our memory here um, passion it says uh, hmm. you could live for forever in the holy you could live forever in the holy instant starting now and continuing forever except for one reason don't obscure the simplicity of reason. The reason is that the holy instant is a time of perfect communication where the mind is open to give and receive. You may say receive and give. And, uh, and in that approach to 
you know, whatever we perceive or feel or know or think in that approach. There's there's no room for for blame, and it can simply forget forget the need to find a place in which to place our blame, my blame, and uh, accept instead. When the mind is open to both receive and give completely, it accepts everything and wishes to change nothing. And uh, I love the way the reading kind of stretched it. Like, yeah, that includes the past and uh, any fearful future we might imagine. And I think the way past whatever the mind is, when the mind is spinning out, the way past it is to accept it. This is just the thought I'm having. And uh, let them come, let them go, and hold on to peace of God, which is a birthright. And so there's like one little piece of the text I wanted to read. I'm not used to working the book here. <laughs> Sorry. There is no violence at all in this escape. The body is not attacked, but simply properly perceived. It does not limit you merely because you would not have it so. You are not really, quote-unquote, lifted out of it. It cannot contain you. You go where you would be, gaining, not losing, a sense of self. In these instances of release from physical restriction, you experience much of what happens in the holy instant. The lifting of the barriers of time and space, a sudden awareness of peace and joy, and above all, the lack of awareness of the body and of the questioning whether or not all this is possible. It is possible because you want it. The sudden expansion of the self which takes place with your desire for it is the irresistible appeal the holy instant holds. It calls you to be yourself within its safe embrace. Come to this place of refuge where you can be yourself in peace. For peace will join you there simply because you have been willing to let go the limits you have placed on love and joined it where it is and where it led you in answer to its gentle call to be at peace. <clears throat> and thanks for listening. And uh, well, I'm the recording now. That was beautiful, Lemoyne. Thank you so much, and I'm so glad you brought that from Lesson 108. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, Lemoyne. That was beautiful.